Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Woo! <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't control, I couldn't contain myself. <laughs> A proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.com. Good morning, Shag. I am ready to talk some who's who. How are you? Dude, I am so excited. I have been dying to do this. Like, we recorded the last one. And I, I immediately three years ago, I think. <laughs> it feels like it. And I immediately dove in and started reading the next issue and started making notes. And, you know, the readers heard it, or the listeners heard it about a month ago. Um, we recorded it. I think right. I, I think right after Who's Who ended in 1987. I think. I think it was. I think it was. It's been that long. <laughs> so uh, we've been dying to get back to this. So for us, it's been a lot longer than y'all. So trust us. We we're so excited about this. Yeah, we were very very heartened by the um, response, which we will get to at the end of the show. But uh, we were very energized that, that how much everybody seemed to really get into it, and so we were like, we just could not wait to get to to, to the second show. We want to keep this energy rolling. So. Um, we're not going to, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to give a little background on this series in case this is somebody's first time or, you know, a month is too long for your you know, little frail memories. But um, Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe, was a 26-issue series. It was originally planned to be 24. You know, I don't think we mentioned that in the last show. It was, it was originally planned to be 24 issues, but they had so much cool stuff to talk about, they threw in an extra two. And really the goal of it was to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the DC Universe. So the goal of it was to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the DC Universe. And this series ran parallel. It was almost a companion piece to Crisis on, Inf on Infinite Earths, with this series starting one month before Crisis. Um, so that was kind of interesting, is that number one hit the shelves before. So having that Anthro entry in there, last issue, and going into Crisis number one with Anthro just kind of worked well, you know? Synergy. Synergy. There it is. It was a paradigm shift. Who I think was a Teen Titans villain. Synergy? I'm pretty sure he was. Probably. Actually, you know what? I think they are literally, no kidding, I think they're on the inside back cover of this issue. <laughs> oh, no, that's cyanide. Never mind. It's an S word. They're all the same to me. Rob, you want to talk about, um, you want to talk about the cover here? Well, I said, uh, yeah, volume two is, of course, uh, gets into the bees, which I think you can guess uh, who the main character is for this issue. Much like the, uh, not much that like the. Yes, exactly. Now, like the first issue, um, the second issue's cover is by George Perez. He would do uh, most of the – okay, calm down. Uh, he would do a bunch of the, the first couple of covers, and they would move on to other people where um, I think he penciled. Later on, he just penciled and was inked by other people, and then they had other artists doing it. But for the first couple, it was George, all, all George Perez. And, Perez. And, of course, they said the main character is Batman – the Earth One Batman, the quote unquote modern Batman, and standing right behind him is Happy Golden Age Batman. Um, that would be uh, the policeman's friend. The policeman's friend Batman, the same Batman that you know shot people and had his saw his parents <laughs> murdered, but he's Happy Batman. 
Um, <laughs> this is much one of the things we loved about the, the Who's Who covers that I loved about the Who's Who covers is that they were all the characters are interacting. Um, you know, they're, they're they're all standing around, kind of around one another, as opposed to just being more of a poster thing where they're they're sort of all doing singles. But here, you've got all the personalities mixed in. And um, as much as that was going on on the first issue, it's even sort of happening even more in the second. Um, you see on the back cover Bizarro dropping in from the top of the frame upside down. <laughs> literally dropping. Literally just, dropping. Like, yeah, not like, flying. Like, yeah, dropping. <laughs> and he's scaring the bejesus out of Black Canary and Black Fire and Black Hand. Down at the, down at the bottom, you see um, Batlash hanging out with Big Sur from um, – uh, yeah, Big Sur from, from the Forever People. You've got uh, Beautiful Dreamer laying in a sort of um, playboy pose. Um, sort That's of, the, the first time Beautiful Dreamer ever um, caught my attention, to be honest. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> standing now, right – well, Hold on. What I think is hilarious is behind Beautiful Dreamer is Black Bison. Yes. And not, not only is he staring at her bottom, <laughs> he has got down on his knee so he can get a better view of it. <laughs> Many horses far away. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you see right behind Batman, you've got Batgirl and Batwoman. They're, uh, um, They're both staring sort of admiringly at the Batman. They are. They are. Well, they, everybody thinks Bruce Wayne is, you know, kind of hot. Um, He's so dreamy. You've got uh, Black Condor and Azrael flying around. In the, and then in the back, you've got – you see the Blackhawks hanging out with Balloon Buster, which I thought was a fun thing because they're both aerial guys. You know, yep. uh, that, that, it, it was that stuff that I loved, just those little details of like, well, if these people are all in the same room other than it becoming a giant fight, which, which guys would sort of like gravitate towards one another? And, and definitely you could see the Blackhawks and Balloon Buster looking at Bizarro like, what is going on there? So – well, it cracks me up because Big Bear from the Forever People, you mentioned he's there with uh, Batlash. It, it looks like he's almost chastising Batlash. A little, oh, I called him Big Sir. Yeah, you're right. You, yeah. You got, yeah. Yeah, it does. he looks like he's kind of like tut, 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 which you yeah. wonder kind of what he's Batlash doing. Batlash is like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell or whatever. I don't know if Batlash yeah. had an accent. And uh, one thing to mention, too, you know, we mentioned everyone's in different poses. Now, if you, if you were to step back and look at it from a perspective, it's almost like an M.C. Escher thing every time in that. None of the perspectives make any sense. No, I mean, not everyone's really. standing everyone's standing just on air. Yeah. And some, be, and some people are standing on top of each other almost. It, it, it doesn't make sense from that perspective. Um, but it doesn't matter. You just accept it. It's like, okay, as, as Rob said, they're all hanging out and having a party. You just ignore perspectives. Like on the cover number one, Aquaman's swimming, but there's no water. No, it's just bubbles. You know, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, it just it's just a fun jam and everyone interacts. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just noticed uh, that Ben Boxer, it looks like he's about ready to go take down uh, Blackfire Thorn. Blackfire uh, Thorn, Black, yeah. Black, Blackfire <laughs> Thorn, yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> he's had enough of this nonsense. Um, <laughs> on the uh, the inside cover is a, re- is a repeat of what appeared in the first issue, which is just a basic summing up of what the series is and what it will tell you and what it won't be telling you. Um, and then there is the glossary, a little brief uh, glossary. Um, pronunciation glossary, yeah. Pronunciation glossary, yes. Azrael, Baron, Bl- Baron Blitzkrieg, Baron Big Barda, and Cesaro. <laughs> I find it personally hilarious that you stumbled over the word when the how to pronounce it is right there. I know it's 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 it's, it's a meta joke. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the things I guess we should mention before we even get to page one, and we did mention in the first episode, was the background of the of the series, which is this yellow dot matrix pattern. Um, where the, yeah, it's, it's, it's the border, the border. Yeah. The and it goes from yellow, a yellow background with white dots and it fades to 
a white background with yellow dots, which is, you know, meant to sort of represent the dot matrix printing of comic books, uh, you know, in the old really? days. Yeah, that's what it's, yeah, it's, 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 I always heard that it was meant to represent, that represent the halftone pattern, which is <laughs> how you printed comic books uh, back then, because everything was dot patterns. I mean, you know, all the colors are just made up of little dots. And so that's and what no, it's meant to represent. Makes perfect sense. When I was younger, I always thought it was sort of like the checkerboard because DC used to run checkerboard across the top. Right. And I thought it was, even though it was circles, I thought it was supposed to kind of represent the checkerboard thing. But clearly yours makes more sense. Yes. And um, one other thing I should point out that that dot matrix pattern was the creation of the designer on the book, which was uh, Neil Posner. He was, the, he was the design director on Who's Who. He's a staffer for DC, who, of course, later went on to write the 1986 Aquaman miniseries, which is one of my favorite all-time Aquaman series. Multi-talented. But later on, uh, somebody, I guess it was Jeanette Kahn, decided that the walls of the DC offices should... She loved that dot matrix pattern so much that they covered the walls in the DC offices with the dot matrix pattern. And apparently uh, that earned the enmity <laughs> of the entire DC staff for Neil Posner. They sort of blamed him for having to stare at these bright yellow walls every day at work. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah, the... Yellow is not the kind of color you want in your No, office. I went to the DC offices once and sometime in the 80s. Uh, I think it was during a trip during our time at the uh, Joe Cooper School. And I remember seeing the dot matrix walls. And I was like, hey, the who's who walls. And I think, oh, my gosh. I think everybody was like, Neil. <laughs> they were shaking their sharpened pencils at shaking you their fists yeah. at him and you know <laughs> throwing copies of sovereign seven at him or whatever oh, um, <laughs> a couple other things to mention real quick is uh and we we failed to mention this last time but one of the th- one of the cool things about the series and you don't even realize it unless it's brought to your attention is that there are no advertisements in this entire right comic. it's a who's who experience from beginning yep. to end with, with, with the exception of their own advertisement at the last page, which we'll talk about. I mean, that's, that is technically an ad, but it's their own ad. It's part of the book. So there are no ads throughout the whole book. And um, by the way, one of our objectives here, folks, if this is your first episode, is our goal is to go through this and that you don't have to have the comic in front of you. That's our goal. You know, certainly, if you have the opportunity to flip through the book as you're going, um, that would be awesome. Or if, you've committed, or if you've committed it to memory. Clearly, Siskoid has. Yes, so. <laughs> some people have done that. Um, and so if you were to, you know, again, our goal is not for you to have to have the comics in front of you because I know a lot of people don't that have been listening don't even own them. You know, we, that's some of the feedback we've got. A lot of the people that are listening don't even own them and never seen them, and yet um, I guess we described them well enough in the first episode that they're able to still enjoy this. So we're going to keep doing our best to describe it so you don't have to have them in front of you. Right, absolutely. And I, I got a couple other quick things I want to mention is that – I got a good question from my buddy Ed, who uh, the unique uh, Ed, who he had a question. He said, is this comic pre-crisis or post-crisis origins? And that's a great question because the answer is yes. (laughs) Because crisis is going on parallel to this. And sorry, guys, spoiler, Crisis on Infinite Earths changed the DC Universe, all their history, all their continuity. And um, there's some guy going, damn it, I was on issue nine. <laughs> anyway, um, crisis changes everything, and who's who had to keep up with that? But there was no immediate answer to what everyone's origins were. So right around issue 12 is when the change in the DC Universe happened. So that's when you might start to see some creeping mention of Earth-1, Earth-2, or, or no longer Earth-1, Earth-2, however you want to look at it. And, um, and so... They had to sort of figure out what the histories were going to be as they went. So things start to change around issue 12. 
So that's, that was a great question, and that's worth mentioning here. And then uh, I had one more thing I wanted to mention, Oh, my Ron. Lord. No, this is, a, this is sort of a personal thing for you and me. I know, but I, well, I'm laughing at the fact that you always say, I have one more thing to mention. Oh. And then you do, I have one more thing to mention. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't true. think you know what that word means, Jack. I don't know what one more several is more than one word, but <laughs> yeah, last and one more. I have two. several dozen things to mention. Oh, I'll just say that. I have several dozen things to mention. <laughs> um, I don't know if you thought this through, Rob, but uh, who's <laughs> Probably who? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> who's who is sort of responsible for the Fire and Water podcast? Explain. Okay. Uh, I recorded an episode about who's who with my good friend Michael Bailey for his show called Views from the Long Box. And uh, Michael does several other shows. He's on Two True Freaks. He does Back to the Bins. He does uh, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Great guy. And he and I did an episode where we just talked about who's who for like, I don't know, two hours or something. And we covered all who's who in one episode. Um, you know, So we didn't really dive into any details. But you listened to it. That's I did. That's true. You, contacted me and said, wow, that was great. You know, Shag, you're an absolute podcasting master and genius. Yeah, I'm sure I said um, that. May I bask in your shadow kind of thing, I think is how the email went. But that, I'd like you know, you produce that email, please. <laughs> you were sort of already on the path of doing an Aquaman podcast, but I think that helped bring us together and ultimately led certainly to these Who's Who shows. Yeah, I would say that, yes, I would say that's true. So Who's Who kind of brought us together so we can blame oh. Who's Who for... What we've unleashed on the world. That's sweet. It's a bromance. Thank you, Who's Who. Thank you, Neil Posner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, 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 so Neil Posner, I'd say, has redeemed himself from the dot, dot matrix pattern. First from writing Aquaman and then from bringing us together and creating the show. So There we go. Thank you, Neil, well, wherever you are. Rob's going to lead us through the episode, um, for the mo- through the book for the most part this time. And um, do you want, you want to describe like the, the page setting as far as foreground and background and all that? Yeah, well, I, well, yeah, the, the, the standard setup, again, for anyone who didn't listen to the first one, which I don't know why you'd be bothered listening to the second one if you hadn't listened to the first one, but um, the, the, you have you know, the basic information, uh, personal data, history, powers, and weapons, and then you've got you know, a color image where you've got the character in the color with their logo, either their standard logo or a logo they just created for the book itself, and then in the background you've got a monochromatic surprint or just a background image or whatever fancy word you want to use. Just representing a brief background, you know, of the of the character, some some historical moments or other supporting characters, and it's just visually, it's very. I, I found it very compelling um, the way they did it to have the, the the foreground and the main image being color and the background being being monochrom- being monochromatic. I just thought that's a very very nice looking sort of classy way of doing it and it you know it makes things look like all right that's the, you know the, these are the the background elements of this character but here's the what you're really supposed to be looking at is is the main guy right here in the front so definitely sets it off yeah it's a nice job absolutely. um so are we, are we done with the 37 preambles can we get going well we should mention on the cover they list every single character alphabetically they do and this one uh this issue is volume two Cover dated April 1985. It hit the shelves, set your way back machine, folks, to January 17th, 1985. Ooh. Yeah. Mike's Amazing uh, World of Comics is a great site. It sure is. <laughs> and this issue is going to cover Automan to Blackhawk Plane. Well, see, now you've given it away because now they know where it ends. But okay. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yes. Um, one of the awkward things about the Who's Who format was that because of the how many pages they had to do, the lettering, I mean the lettering, the um, 
where the the characters started and stopped in terms of the alphabet didn't fit with the books. I mean, so the first issue was in A's, but then the second issue here starts with two A characters because they had two more. So it's a little awkward that you kind of like volume one is A and then volume B is volume two is B. Oh, and a couple of A's here too. But you just <laughs> had to roll with that. You know, it's, uh, they tried to fix that later on with the you know, loosely format, but that's for another podcast. Um, anyway, uh, we start off with Auto Man. Uh, <laughs> not not to be confused with the ABC TV series starring no. Desi Arnaz Jr., folks. No, there was no chance of that happening. And then not to be confused with Robot Man, another one of their characters, which is basically a human guy in the inside giant metal suit. This is a character that appeared in Tales of the Unexpected. Um, it's drawn by Alex Saviak, who drew Aquaman for a little while, and Romeo Tangal. It's, it's a nice listing. He only gets half a page. Um, he had his own strip in Tales of the Unexpected. I don't know how long that ran. I really wasn't that familiar with the character. I think this is one of those characters that I had never heard of before until Who's Who, which was one of the nice things about this series. You see, I, I had read him in some of the Star Hawkins stories because Star Hawkins appeared. Well, didn't Star Hawkins appear with Aquaman? Or was that? No. Di- that was a different run in Adventure Comics. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So Auto Man existed before the Star Hawkins series? I think so, yeah. Well, I think Star Hawkins was in Mystery in Space, not Adventure Comics. Interesting. Okay. Because um, there was a there was a 70s revival of somewhere where I stumbled across Star Hawkins. Okay. And anyway, but it's just interesting. I never – I didn't realize Auto Man operated independently before then. My, my favorite bit in here, though, is in his origin bit where they say um, Auto Man apparently survived into the 21st century. So just from a – a flashing back port of sort of way from 30 years in the future. That's just kind of funny. <laughs> He's out there roaming around right now. Yep. <laughs> uh, next, sharing the half page with him is Azrael, which was a new addition to the Teen Titans, um, drawn by Jose, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, and Romeo Tango, once again, doing the inking. Um, Woo! Yes, yeah, I mean, you know, Rose, Romeo, I mean, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez deserves as much space as you can possibly give him uh, anywhere at any time. So, uh, <laughs> well, you, need, you need that much space to be able to list his full name. Well, that, that too. Um, <laughs> but Azrael was a new character. He, his main power, basically, as you can see, is that he had wings, so he could float around. He could fly around. I love in the um, height, 6'3", weight, 265 pounds includes wing weight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is a good example of where it's, you know, it says Azrael's origin is a mystery, even to Azrael himself, where they had to work around a new character who was mysterious. Yeah, he, you know, he had only first appeared like a couple of months previous, so they obviously wanted to give him a listing, but uh, I like that his occupation is listed as space traveler. <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful drawing. I mean, he's got these great, gorgeous, white bird wings type things. I mean, they're just, it's, re- you know, you see Angel from the X-Men with his wings. This just looks nice. I really yeah. like oh, these wings. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. Uh, I was going to say one thing that is, has been tough for me uh, under first appearance as I go through this mm-hmm. uh, and they correct it later in who's who is there's no year. Right. So auto man appeared in tales of unexpected 91 and, and Azrael appeared in tales of teen Titans 52. Well, there's like 30 or 40 years in between those two yeah, comics yeah. and you, there's no way to tell that. Yeah, there's no frame of reference if you don't know about the unexpected, like how old Tales of the Unexpected is. You know, right. that, that represents, that's part of like the 50s. Because the, the book, The Unexpected, its former name was Tales of the Unexpected. So that's obviously 
a lot older. But yeah, you don't have a you don't have a great. They they were really big on like not leave, not putting in dates. They didn't want characters to be perceived of a certain age or whatever. But well, later on they add that in. They, they did, yeah. Yeah. Um, as you also you could say before we could go in uh, full on, um, who's who is still suffering under the flexographic coloring process. I was wondering about that, yeah. if that's what that Which, was. Because yeah. Azrael is suffering from the heartbreak of psoriasis here. So uh, they eventually fixed that. But uh, it's still going on here in this um, second volume, unfortunately. Oh, I just noticed Azrael's logo. Those are feathers. That's cool. Yes, nice. Um, the first B character is Babe from Atari Force. Um, not a whole lot to say about Babe. Babe was just kind of like a, a hulking, a, a kind, like a, kind of like, a, you know, like an elephant. And it sort of looks a little like an alien-type elephant where the coloring and um, – so there's not a whole lot to say. So they give a whole lot of space to Babe. I mean like more than two-thirds of the page is taken up by the drawing by – Ed, inked, penciled and inked by Eduardo Barreto who drew Atari Force. And uh, it's a very, very nice drawing here. Uh, it's, a, you know. it's another one of those as a kid. I was like, oh, Atari Force, you know, ignore – yeah, and moved on, and and the more we, t- you know, the more we go through these who's who, the more I'm thinking I'm going to go buy me the old Atari forces. Cause there I'm, you go. Uh, I think uh, one of our listeners um, commented how he read it in the last year, and he said it was really good. Yeah, I I'd always heard that it was a good book, and I know that they did some interesting stuff. Like, I remember they used to um, do like backup strips. Like, there's a character that's walking on Babe. Uh, it's like a little mascot, this little orange kind of mm-hmm. cat looking thing called the Hookah. And mm-hmm. and I think at one point at Target Wars they actually gave backup strips to Hooka. Like Hooka had his own adventures drawn by Keith <laughs> Giffen. So oh, was, I remember this. They used to reprint those in the little digest. They did, they did. So it was kind of like an ambush buggy type humor. So obviously Atari Force, you know, kind of let itself get a little goofy, which I think it probably would have enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I like that Babe's occupation is unwilling adventurer. There you go. Uh, Very cool. Height fourteen. Feet two inches, weight one thousand six hundred and fifty pounds. So. Base of operations, multiversal space. That's cool. <laughs> this, All right, I got to get this comic. You put that on a tax form. Um, getting this comic. Yeah, well, when Firestorm gets canceled, we can do the uh, Atari and Water podcast. <laughs> you know, it's a different show. You could get some new jokes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> next up is Balloon Buster, um, which is not a nasty kid that pops kids balloons at like parks and stuff he's a uh, a uh, <laughs> u.s army air corps uh, veteran he first appeared in all american men of war number 112 he was a lieutenant in the u.s army corps drawn by my former instructor joe kubert uh, which is what he's most famous for as being my former instructor um it's a, right. it's a <laughs> it's a beautiful image i mean it's just it's it's balloon buster walking right towards the camera and in the background you see a bunch of uh, dog fights uh, as rendered by Joe Kubert, which is, you know, like top notch. So it's a, you know, it's, it's not the most like exciting, you know, visual. Cause he's not, he's not a superhero. He's just kind of like a cowboy looking dude, but it's a great drawing. Let me tell you, this, this one's an interesting, uh, collection of things that just came together for me. Cause on the surface I go, okay, Joe Kubert, not always my favorite comic book artist in the eighties. Not that he's not that he's bad. He, he has an excellent history. Don't get just just wait. I can tell Raw. I can see the steam coming out of his ears. Just hold I tight. Said anything. All right. So first of all, it's drawn by Joe Kubert. Second of all, his name is Balloon Buster. Third, <laughs> he's got a ridiculous logo. So I go into it thinking, oh, this is going to be you know a disaster. And then you look at the art, and it is stunning. 
It is so cool. I mean, the, the background, there's a, in the serpent, there's this, I can't believe I said serpent. Anyway, Yay! There's this Welcome really close-up image of his face, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a profile of his face. You can see him bursting the war balloons. You see him, you know, having a shootout with who I assume is the Red Baron. And he looks like, honestly, he looks like Owen Wilson. That's who he looks it's like. Interesting. And oh, God, don't just, give Hollywood any ideas. Well, I like Owen Wilson. So. Oh. Anyway, he's walking. In, in the cool shot of him walking towards the camera, looks like he's, you know, there's a fiery explosions behind him. It's almost like a modern-day movie when you see the hero walking yeah. towards the camera and everything's <laughs> burning behind him. Slow walking away from an explosion. Yeah. And, and the text piece, dude, I want to read these comics. <laughs> I like, I, he is, he, this is actually just perfect for a movie. He's the wild maverick, you know, pilot who disobeys orders and goes and gets the bad guy. I mean... This sounds like a cool series. The art is engaging, and I want to read this. And you know, have they done like showcases of his stuff? I don't at all? think they have. Uh, I love that it ends with Savage, which was his name, Stephen Henry Savage. What a great name, Stephen Henry Savage Jr. Savage is one of the most aggressive warriors of the war to end all wars, and he dueled often with his enemy counterpart, Germany's famous, Germany's famed Rittmeister Hans von Hammer, see enemy ace. So they're even tying him into another long-running DC character. That's cool. Which is great, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It makes me kind of want to go find these comics and read them. Absolutely. Um, and, again, this was part of what Husu was about. You know, like, Balloon Buster was not a character that was appearing anywhere, although he did make it a cameo in um, Crisis, although everybody well, did. Who didn't, Who right? didn't? Um, <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I'm in it, but other than that. Oh, the Golden Age Aquaman didn't. Huh, okay. Um, yeah, you talk about getting new jokes. Um no, that was a, that was specifically a who's who thing, oh, sir. Okay. Yellow gloved Aquaman. Fair anyway, um, but you know, here here was DC's chance to you know brush off this whole character that had his own series for a while, and it was like, hey, he was a big part of our publishing history. Maybe not a big part, but he was a part of our publishing history a long time ago, and it's worthy of of highlighting him. You know, so I think that was part of the one of the things I loved about this series was that they took the time to do that was to in all, dust off in all these my- characters. Hmm? In all my years, in all my years, I never thought I'd have a five-minute conversation on Balloon Buster. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, seriously. I don't think they talked about him that much when they assigned Joe Kubert the drawing. I just <laughs> Joe just draw this, and Joe took out his big hands and his big pencil and drew it. Um, <laughs> next up is another Baron, uh, not another Baron, first but Baron Bedlam, who was a new character, a villain from Batman and the Outsiders, and because he was a Batman and the Outsiders character, he was drawn by the great, the great Jim Apparel. Uh, what? I don't. Are you seriously the, going to say Jim Aparo is not great? No, I'm not. But I'm. I. This is a tough one for me. I love Jim Aparo. Right. His Aquaman art is some of my absolute favorite. He's he's probably second to like Nick Hardy on that old series to me. He's he's phenomenal. I love his stuff in the '60s and '70s. By the 19, mid 1980s, I feel like his style wasn't working as well. I think, yeah, I think he was starting to, to, I don't want to say lose it, but I guess, yeah, lose it a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't think this is one of his best drawings. I just, right. I'm just happy that Jim Aparo is doing it. But, but I, mean, I, I like, I think it's just, all, I love him. I just, I have a hard time enjoying his artwork after, say, eight, you know, around the time Batman and the Outsiders started, to be honest. Okay. So. I, I, I would argue that it, after, it took a little while after that for it to start really going downhill a little bit. But, you know, it's okay. Like I said, this is not one of his best drawings. The perspective's a little wonky. Like, his arm is kind of, like, huge and whatever. But but nevertheless, I'm happy to see it. And, they again, they don't have a whole lot to say about this character because he'd only been around, like, about a year. 
Um, plus, he's kind of silly looking. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that's why they don't talk about him because yeah. he's silly looking. He's silly that's looking. a pro- that's a problem with DC. That character. is that is a problem. <laughs> so, so a, but you know, they figured he would come back, and I think he did come back in Baron and the Batman and the Outsiders. So you know, oh, he came back over and over. He, he's sort of like a the Red Skull for Batman and the Outsiders. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Except not as cool looking, frankly. Right, but that's all right. Um, another Baron is next. Baron Blitzkrieg, who is. Uh, a Nazi supervillain. Uh, uh, he's he was really kind of a cool character, despite the fact that his color scheme is orange, yellow, and magenta, which you know, <laughs> really doesn't give you the whole Nazi feel exactly. But I think it was handed to him from the Bronze Age, and they were stuck with it. I think, I think so. that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, um, this is drawn by Rick Hoberg and inked again by Romeo Tango. Romeo Tango got a lot of work from Who's Who. Um, well, Rick Hoberg's awesome, right. and this this is this is All Star Squadron right here, baby. This is one of the ones – Baron Blitzkrieg was also the villain in the Superman vs. Wonder Woman Treasury Edition. So mm. My beloved Treasury Editions. Um, this, is, this is one of those instances where the main image I think is perfectly fine. The background images are out of this world. Like they are super detailed. These, there's, there's no less than five different scenarios going on here. You see a close-up of Baron without his mask on. You see him getting some acid thrown in his face by – I think it's concentration camp victims. You I see, think so. You see Baron Blitzkrieg using his like eye lasers. You see him flying through like this lightning riddled sky, and then you see him smashing through a brick wall. And it's really all drawn and very detailed. I mean, they really went. He really the Hoberg and Tangle really went to town on this image. Yep. Um, he. I always thought of him as sort of a Nazi Doctor Doom, but he, he doesn't have like. He doesn't have the kind of brain power as Doom, but I mean, he definitely serves the role of like the armored, disfigured, bitter villain. He's like kind of Despero. Thing. He's like Despero. Yeah, there you go. Not That's Despero, good. the the guy from GI Joe. We're right, just, we're thinking the same thing. Destro, um, Destro, Destro, Despero, Destro. There we go. Yes. Uh, I like oh, your. We're we're gonna get email on from Frank on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's not hard. Uh, I like in height six six, weight two hundred forty five pounds with armor. So DC was always having to make these accommodations for people with their strange, you know, like wing weight, armor weight, you know, whatever. You like the weirdest things. I, do, I just like the idea that you're like, oh, I'm not fat. It's my wing weight. You know, like, okay. I'm not fat. It's my wing weight. I love Baron Blitzkrieg's logo, by the way. Yes. It's kind of germ- Germanic. Yep. And, uh, little lightning bolts. Little, cool. Yeah. It's very sweet. Uh, another Baron, a lot of Barons in the DC universe, Baron Winters, who was the sort of major domo of Night Force, um, drawn by Gene Colan, Bob Smith. And that's, it's, now this is a more simple image. It's Baron Winters in the foreground in color. And then you see the house that he lived in and his like pet cheetah or whatever he had in the background, but it's done in purples and it's, it's really nice. It's a very, very kind of spooky, uh, very classic image. But again, it was Gene Colan. Can't go wrong with that. Well, the, the dark purple is very perfect because yeah. I mean, this—if this was a modern-day comic, well, I guess it is a modern-day comic. Uh, Night Force is, but it, it falls under—you uh, know—it would fall under the dark category, and it's—you know—it's one of these dark and spooky, mysterious books, and so the image is very dark and mysterious, and the purples just sets it off perfectly. Now, the thing I found interesting about this is his first appearance was in Teen Titans. That was when DC was doing those free previews. Oh. And they did a free preview of Night Force inside an issue of New Teen Titans. So yeah, okay. but he didn't. He, he's in night. He's in a Night Force comic inside New Teen Titans. Not okay. That makes more itself. sense. Yeah. Now Night Force, for those of you who are interested, is, is out there right now. It's a miniseries. Yeah, they, yeah, they brought it back. So, yeah. yeah, that was a cool book. That was a really cool book in the eighties. I lo- it was really interesting and very different than almost anything else DC was putting out at the time. 
Yep. So, um, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's a it's a really really nice image. Um, he's the only character outside of the Night Force that got his own listing because the Night Force just gets grouped as a, in one. In well, their their comic didn't last all that long. No, either. it didn't. It didn't. So. So. And he gets picked on quite a bit, actually, because throughout the 80s, you could find it in the 50-cent bins. Oh, that's not fair. Uh, (laughs) Next is just more of a concept, The Barren Earth, which was a strip that ran in Warlord. It's drawn here by Ron Randall. And I don't really know much about The Barren Earth. I just know that it was a strip. You know, I don't – I think The Barren Earth was not part of the DCU proper. Now, they don't don't mention that here, that that was something they would get into later on. When they would get to characters that were not part of the main DCU, they actually put a little notation. Note, this, you know, these, these characters do not belong to the DC continuity. But they didn't think to do that in the beginning. So, um, well, the, the, the way Baron Earth came about, it was like, you know, there was the Warlord series. And it, had the, it always had backups. Yeah. And it had, you know, the Aaron or Ryan, however you say it, backups um, for a long time. And then he got his own series. And so the replacement backup was Baron Earth. Because I remember this because I was reading the, the Aaron stories. And so I read the first couple of Baron Earth. And while it's a cool concept, it didn't grab me in the long run. Um, so it, the entry is really interesting. talks about how it's an alternate future and stuff like that. And you've got guys in the background riding what appears to be do-backs. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of the foreground that's in color in this one because it's about the whole place, not just this main character. So right. the serpent, the serpent's actually, there's not very much in the background that's single color. And the girl, um, I always thought she was, like, super hot. And clearly it's... Um, Either very cold in that desert, or they didn't have bras on that planet. One or the other. <laughs> and this, this would be one of the first times that really uh, there's a little TNA teasing going on. It must be that it's there's no bras because it's obviously not that cold because nobody's wearing a whole lot of clothes. In this okay, page. fair enough. <laughs> uh, I like that cityscape back there. That looks very reminds me very much of Carmen Infantino kind of. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks Fl- like looked like Central City in the '60s. Well, it's a floating city. The too, floating which city, make, which makes it cooler. Combo of like Central City and Bespin or something like that. There you go. Um, all right, now now we're getting to the, the main meat of the book here. The first listing, the first bat listing, the Bat Cave. Here, drawn by Howard Bender and Gary Martin, and it's a diagnostic cutaway of the Bat Cave. So we see the Wayne Manor, we see the mountain in which he stores <laughs> the mountain in which he stores the Bat Plane and the Bat Copter, and then the <laughs> top level, and then the bottom level. Now the the thing I enjoy most about this listing is because they had to squeeze it all in in one page. Yes. They have to sort of cram the entire location of the Batcave in. So if you look at the ramp that Batman uses to get out of there, that thing is at like at a 90-degree angle. Almost. It's like a 45-degree angle. It's like a 45 – he's driving that sucker uphill. He's got to you – know, every couple of years, he's got to get the gear shift replaced in the Batmobile simply because of that hill. It was like – even when I was a kid, I was like, now wait a minute. That's ridiculous. Well, well I always liked uh, the top part with, like, the Batcopter and the Bat plane hangar because mm-hmm. it's like, man, Batman's got to stop that plane on a dime, <laughs> you know. And, and the helicopter, you know, it's like he, he's got a really low ceiling. So, like, you yeah. know, he, he better not hit a stalactite, you know. Um, <laughs> and then they've got these jets coming out of the mountain that shoots off a cloudy effect to conceal takeoff. I mean, yeah. it's just – and then I always wonder with the lab, there's this giant shadow of Batman up mm-hmm. on the wall. Mm-hmm. But clearly it's not because, like, the the cabinet doesn't have the shadow on it. Right. So I was like, did Batman paint his own, like, silhouette on the wall? Well, he's it's big on egot- that. It's kind of egotistical. We know that. He loves putting his own iconography. He's, he's very brand-centric. That's, that's, that's how he's true. a millionaire. He knows how to promote his brand. And I do like you can see Alfred you a little You can see still. Alfred dusting the, the dinosaur there down in the trophy room. 
which I thought was a nice touch. It doesn't mention the first appearance of the Batcave, which I was was a little annoyed that, like, for the settings, they don't bother with that. I would have liked to have known, you know, well, what was the first issue? I think the Batcave first appeared in, I think, the first Detective 27. I think it appeared at the same time as Batman. But I'm not positive about that. And who's who is not helping me? So Nerd. (laughs) Yeah. Um... But I love that they got everything here. There's an underground stream. He's got a mountaintop. He's got everything. It's just, it's just, it's just fantastic. It's, and, it's, it's almost comical more than, than anything. But, but as a kid, man, let me tell you, I poured over this thing. Oh, I loved it. Sure, yeah. I loved it. It's, you know, that was like the one playset I didn't have, which was the um, Wayne Foundation Mego playset, which was basically a bad cave, but put inside mm. a penthouse. I didn't have that one. I wish I had. It was great. So, <laughs> um, but I love the fact that that. that they went to the effort to give the Batcave a listing because it's a big part of their universe. It's just, yeah. you know, like every person, even if you've never read a comic book in your life, you've heard of the Batcave. You know, you know that's where Batman's headquarters is. It's just, it's just that famous. So it, it deserves its own listing. Um, so the Bat listings continue with uh, Batgirl, here drawn by Brent Anderson, who did not do a lot of comic book, uh, not comic book, did not do a lot of superhero work. Uh, and when he did, he did a work for Marvel mostly. So he didn't – it was kind of an unusual choice and inked by Terry Austin. Um, it's a nice listing. It's not the most exciting. Batgirl's just sort of standing there. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. We see a close-up of Barbara. We see her lifting weights. We see her on the bat cycle. And we see her throwing her batarang at some guy right in the head, which is great. <laughs> um, um, so it's, it's, a, it's a nice image. It's not like one of their best, but it's, you know, it's, very, it's very nice. It was well. I always thought it was kind of disappointing. To be honest, um, just gonna pull the bandaid off and be honest about it. It's like she's not exciting. She doesn't. She's just standing there with her hands on her hips, and some of her proportion and shadowing is kind of weird. So, for being one of their like really cool female leads, it was also sexy and strong-willed. It just it was kind of a disappointment. I halfway expected them to have the paragraph in here they used to always list about her skirt. You know, she would flip her skirt around, and so you know, and it just. They did a much better job in the updates later, uh, giving yeah. Barbara Gordon her proper respect. Uh, they also have a note here at the very bottom. It says, note, there was one other bad girl, Betty Kane, a niece of Kathy Kane, Batwoman. See, Batwoman. She fought crime briefly before retiring to focus on her first love, tennis. <laughs> so, well, now, became- now a national tennis champ, she rarely dons her old costume. Well, that character went on to become, in post-crisis, Flamebird. That's right, yeah. Yeah. This was interesting. It's like, oh, they had to make, oh, yeah, there was this other Batgirl, but who really cares? So let's just move on. We've already got so many Bat pages, we don't need another. Yeah, we don't have time for all this. Um, and here's a bat, another Bat character, which is actually not a Bat character, Bat Lash, who was a Western character who had his own series in the 60s drawn by Nick Carty. It was this superb series. Short-lived, another short-lived series from DC that was really interesting and different. It didn't last, but I love that they gave him his own listing here. I mean, he continued in the DCU to appear after that. He appeared in that JLA two-parter where the Western heroes and he made appearances mm-hmm. here and there. So he, and he was always, I think he was kind of like a cult favorite and here he's drawn by Dave Gibbons and it's a really beautiful drawing. I mean, it's really, well, really nice. The Dave Gibbons aspect is wild. We're going to talk about Dave Gibbons again in another second here. Yes, we are. Um, so one of the things I find interesting about Dave Gibbons drawing this is that we're about, I don't know, a year away from him starting to draw Watchmen. That's right, yeah. And we're, we're going to talk about Dave Gibbons again in a second here. He was on the drawing Green Lantern for them at the time. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and when you say that, that I, re- I recall that now. 
But um, so his style, you, you look here, and he he's actually done a really good job sort of capturing eras. Like, well, we'll talk about the other one in a minute. But I mean, this looks very standard, you know, sort of fun comic-y. It doesn't look as stylized as he would be, you know, a year later with Watchmen. So he's intentionally drawing in a certain style. Now, for me, being the kid I was, you know, Batlash is surrounded by other Batman images. So as a kid, regardless of what I read in his entry, I was sure he had to be tied to the Batman mythos. <laughs> I never thought about that. So I, as a kid, envisioned all these stories, how he was sort of a retconned character being the Batman of the Old West. That's very interesting. I never would have thought of that. I, I, I created all this in my head. Wow. See, so imagine what kids can do, you know, when you, get, you just let their imagination run wild. Right. So. Um, yeah, no, this is a very, very sweet image. You know, he really went to town on it. You see Batlash gunning some guys down. He's, he's got a wanted poster. Then you see him riding off into the sunset. It's, it's, it's you know, it's it's one of those things where I think that it, he this image could single-handedly create Batlash fans. You yeah. know? Oh, he's, he's sniffing a flower on the front. Yeah, and he's a got little a bit f- of a dandy. A little bit of yeah, a dandy. Yeah, he, he does come across that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was part of it. It, it, it. You know what? It's funny. Like it, this, Seeing this image makes me think of like what you could do with digital comics nowadays. Like if DC decided to put out a new series like this, right? And then you have, you introduce reintroduce a character like Batlash. You could say, hey, fans, you know, if you want to dig it, if you want to find these Batlash comics, go to dccomics.com and download the Batlash digital comics you know, volume one and you get all six comics, you know, for like five bucks or whatever. You know what I mean? Like make it yeah. instant purchase. Cause I really think that this, this would generate a new fan. I remember I was really compelled by, it. I was not a big Western guy, but I love this image so much. I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. You know, so, do that digital idea. I'd go buy some balloon poster comics right exactly, now. There you go. Yeah. See, thank you. You're welcome. DC. Um, um <laughs> you know, and now we mentioned it, it's probably just a matter of time till he shows up. Um, till Batlash shows up in uh, all star Western. Uh, next up is the one of the big ones, Batman. Here it is. The original, yep. the Golden Age Batman, and drawn again by Dave Gibbons. We've got Dave Gibbons doing two pages in a row. Um, again, I, it's very, very stylized. Yeah, it he's looks drawing, yeah, like a very, very cartoony Batman. Yep, and, and intentionally. Yeah. You know, it's, and Perez did the same on the cover. And, you know, the Policeman's Friend version of Batman. Right. Well, part of the reason, um, I guess some people wonder, why was, why Dave Gibbons is that when Brave and the Bold ended, which was the you know the original Batman team-up book, it ended with number 200. The final issue of Brave and the Bold um, featured a, I'm doing air quotes, team-up with the Golden Age Batman and the Modern Age Batman. And of course, the Golden Age Batman was dead at that point, but it's a sort of team-up. And they got the first half of the book drawn by Dave Gibbons in that sort of cartoony style to make it look kind of old-school. So that was that was less than a year, um, or a little more than a year after that. So I think Dave Gibbons was sort of in people's minds when they thought about the Golden Age Batman because he had basically done the last Golden Age Batman story. So I think that's probably why they tapped him to do this listing. And it looks great. You see the the origin. You see the Batmobile. You see the Bat Signal. You see Wayne Manor, and then you see Bruce, Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, and and Robin. Um, it's unfortunate there's not more space. There's a lot to talk about. Um, so the, the he gets less than half the page, but it's but it's a very very nice image. Batman just running right towards the camera, r- reminding me of the '60s TV series credits. Oh yeah, it's absolutely beautiful, and you know it's um it actually makes me wonder. Just thinking about this, you know, when he died in um, Adventure a, Comics, right? And I just wonder how much people lost their freaking mind 
over them killing Batman. That was weird. That was a weird. That was a weird story. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you felt bad. You know, you're like, geez, they don't even need him anymore. You know, like, right? Like, it, kill it, him he, off. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's a great entry. I love seeing that classic Batmobile. I've always loved oh, that Batmobile. Love that Batmobile, absolutely. So. Yeah. And the colors are nice. The uh, the surprint is like a magenta. Um, which really sets off nicely with the, the the Batman colors and stuff. So it's 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 a very very pretty image. I love powers and weapons, an incomparable athlete far superior to mere Olympic level. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. Who cares? Batman well, cannot do all of you. It's interesting to read the. Clearly, what happened was someone wrote one of the Batman entries, and then went in and copied it and edited it. For the other Batman, because a lot of this stuff parallels when we get to the next Batman, Earth One. It, it's an incomparable athlete, far beyond Olympic level. I mean, it's also, I mean, a lot of the stuff is the same, and they just kind of sort of tweak it. Except towards the end of each entry, it starts getting more and more, you know, different. Yeah, um, this was some, oh, something else too that they they don't have a listing here for when someone is deceased. Obviously, in comics, deceased is uh. not deceased is not a permanent state of affairs. Well, back then it was a little more. Um, back then it was, yeah, and 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 I mean, as of this listing, the Earth Two Batman is dead, but they don't list like they list marital status, widowed. Well, not really, because he's dead. He's not widowed anymore. I mean, you, you know, I mean, so it's kind of a weird thing that they they don't they they acknowledge that he is dead, but they his personal data is still listed as if he is like an on Batman is still an ongoing concern. I mean, group affiliation, known relatives, marital, you know, again, you occupation, he can't have an occupation. He's dead. So, you know, I, I wonder the way they wrote this was, he said, bat, bat, I'm sorry, Bruce Wayne donned his Batman uniform for one final mission with the justice society and laid down his life to save Gotham from a superpowered criminal. Yeah. I wonder if they, I don't know. Like, I wonder if they tried to soften that for kids. Like, because mm-hmm. as a kid, I don't know if you'd understand what lay down your life meant. And, like, maybe they don't want kids to know, to, to feel like Batman's dead and freak out. I don't know. Yeah, I'll that, probably read, I'm reading too much into this. You could be. But, no, I think I know what you're saying. I think they're, they are, I think comic books, at least at this point, was still trying to not say killed. Or murdered or whatever, murdered, yeah. Murdered is a tough word, yeah. So I think they're maybe just trying to make it a little more gentle. Especially since Who's Who was probably aimed at slightly younger readers anyway. Yep. Um, but anyway, okay, of course, the next one is the big one, Batman, the the modern-age Batman, drawn by Dick Giordano, which is perfectly appropriate. Um, as Dick Giordano art goes, this is a little disappointing. Batman is just standing there, not doing anything terribly exciting. But part of it is they just there's not a lot of space. There's just so much information that they have to impart. There just is not a whole lot of room. So, oh, yeah. I disagree. Yeah. See, I think it's a great image because it's, it's a contrast to the other one. You know, Batman Earth 2 is running at the camera. His capes all float out. Here he's standing there imposing. I mean, he's, he looks like a scary mofo in this drawing. He is definitely more Grim Avenger of the night here. Yeah. And, it, I mean, I, the hand raise, I don't necessarily get that. But, I mean, he's he's, he's there. and it's, there, it, There's a pre- – yeah, I guess it's a fist. But he, there's a presence and he's standing there instead of having to chase the villain. He's standing there imposing and scaring the villain. So I think these two actually would have worked well on opposite pages. Yes, because of that nature. Because you've got you know the other one had the classic Batman Batmobile. This one has the modern Batmobile. Yeah, they both they both have Joe Chill sh- shooting the parents. They both have you know. So I think that it's it's almost like these two were designed to be on facing pages. I think. Yeah, it is kind of a you know one of the the downsides to having like a fixed format like this is that you know the characters don't always. You know, 
yeah, yes, it would have been more appropriate to have the two Batmans facing each other. But it's all Baron Earth's, it's all Baron Earth's fault. Yeah. Threw off the Baron, damn, damn you, Baron Bedlam. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, they when when they did the updates, they got Alan Davis to do the the Batman entry, and they gave a lot more space to the art because they just realized. Because I think here they were still kind of figuring out that they could give some of their main characters two pages. Mm-hmm. I think here they were still figuring everybody just gets one page, the teams get two pages, but. But but they quickly fixed that. Um, as they went on, they realized, oh no no, we got to give some people two pages. And within a couple of issues, they've already changed that format. So I think that here is that rule is still in effect for Batman because clearly, had they realized it would have been appropriate to do two pages, you would have given this, the, the modern Batman two pages. I mean, like six pages. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> really. Um, it, it, it's a fun entry to read because this is. This is an interesting period of Batman's history. It's before Year, uh, year One came out, mm-hmm. but it's after Jason Todd had premiered. So, and before Crisis, so it's it's the Jason Todd that only existed for a short period of time. It's the circus performer Jason Todd incarnation. There's some interesting differences with Joe Chill and stuff like that. So, this is a snapshot of a Batman that really was only around for you know, like pieces of his history were only around for a short period of time. Before Crisis came along and changed, and Year One changed everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are these are characters in flux. Uh, and yes, as you say, this Batman is an incomparable athlete, far beyond. <laughs> Although here it says far beyond Olympic level, not far beyond mere Olympic level. <laughs> oh, good lord! So they didn't take the dig at the Olympians here. Um, they were short on words. <laughs> Got to fit in some space. Um, next is. Um, to, to 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 underscore how important Batman is to the DCU, his utility belt gets half a page. Yep. <laughs> he gets the, actually started giving his gear uh, a page, and I love this. I love all the stuff in the Batman utility belt. You've got the infrared flashlight, smoke capsules, uh, a miniature camera. We could just use his phone now, of course, for that. Lock picking tools, tear gas pellets, laser torch, Batline reel. I mean, it's just great. It's it, you know, if you're like a little comic nerd, this is just genius that you get to see all this stuff in there let me tell you as a kid because i was a big batman fan as a kid as every child is and then you grow out of it um ooh, hollow live. what's that hollow live <laughs> um i sat here and poured over this batman utility belt entry and i would look at each one of the little things inside there like the microprocessor power source <laughs> or the micro cassette recorder or specifically the plastic explosive grenades which look like just you know, chiclet-sized grenades. <laughs> He's got a pouch for his jelly beans. <laughs> right. Um, and I would pour over every single one of these little capsules and go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that one, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right, okay, there, you know. And literally, I was, you know, helping justify it in my brain, like, okay, yeah, this works. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other half of the page is devoted to the Batmobile, and we see through a multicolored surprint, which is kind of interesting, different Batmobiles. There's the 60s one, the 40s one, and then we've got the modern one that, of course, was immortalized in the Superpowers line of toys. I love every single one of these Batmobiles. I, you know, the Batmobile could have gotten its own full page. I would have loved to have seen, like, a whole page of Batmobiles. You know, that would have been cool. Um, it's drawn by Dick Dergeno and Mike DiCarlo, by the way. But, uh, and then, then they've got, interesting enough, someone spent a lot of time on... Like an inside shot of the yeah, car, the, the, the dash, yeah, yeah, the dashboard in this chair. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of detail on that little tiny drawing for some reason. I think, honestly, I think they pulled that out of something else. Hmm. I don't think, I don't think that's a Dick Giordano, Mike DiCarlo. I think they pulled that out of one of the more technical listings for the Batmobiles and other stuff. Huh? But I do like how Batman's got his own like 
silhouette as the middle of the horn on the on the D, on the wheel. <laughs> it, it it is all about branding. He is. Him. He's big. He's big in branding. Yeah. Don't yep. don't ever use this stuff without copyright. He, he, I tell you, Wayne Enterprise will sue your ass. Yep. Um, continuing with the bat listings, there's bat plane and bat boat. So I mean, they really just devoted a large chunk of this <laughs> of this book to Batman stuff. Uh, this page always felt like a little waste. <laughs> I did. Well, I didn't care. I'm like Batmobile shirt. The Batman. I don't care about that. He, you know, he needs that stuff when he's chasing after the penguin and stuff like that. So. By the way, we should have mentioned real quick on the Batmobile entry. It mentions here um, the Batmobile is designed and constructed by world famous stunt driver Jack Edison, who owes his life to Batman. And if I recall correctly, isn't isn't Jack Edison a real person? No. No, he was okay. No. Well, that that used to come up a lot. Who designed the Batmobile? Like in trivia questions in different places, and I always knew where to find the answer because I remembered it in this entry. Right. I thought he's a real guy. I Never don't mind. think so. No, I don't think so. The, the, right. You may be confusing it with the guy that designed the Batmobile for the TV series. I probably am. Who is still around, and I think that's part of like. The design of the Batmobile, I think, is part of the reason that the TV series is still hung up in channels and never being released on DVD or some weird thing, but that's for, okay. that's for another show. Anyway, more Batman entries. Batmite, uh, drawn by Marshall Rogers. And uh, this is a very, very fun entry. You've got little pudgy Batmite, and he's holding a statue of Batman. Um, and then in, ba- in the background, you see you know Batman and Batmite interacting. Um, it's really cute. It's uh, he's listed as two eleven, forty seven pounds. Occupation troublemaker. <laughs> so um, I always thought this was really cute. I, I, I you know I, I like that they got Marshall Rogers, whose style was kind of serious, and and was known for doing some of the more grim Batman adventures. But they got to do this lighthearted thing. I thought it was, it's really a, a nice entry. Now I've got a question about Batman. I honestly don't know the answer. I don't know if you do. Did he appear in the '70s cartoon first or in the comic first? Oh, in the comics, he first appeared in the comics in the '60s, in the early '60s. Okay. Because in the early gotcha. '60s, every major DC hero had their own like imp character. Quisp and Mitzelplik. Quisp and, and Mister Mixpitalik. Batman, Wonder Woman had Prody. Um, oh. Flash had Mopey. Uh, Green Lantern had some character I don't remember, and then the Martian Manhunter had one too. That was like the signal that you made it if you got your own like imp character. I did not know there was all those other imp characters. Yeah, you, think Grant Moore, you think Grant Morrison would have used more of them? You would think. Go to the his, in his fifth dimension thing <laughs> for the for the Manhunter run. Go to like the Idle Head of Dazzler or whatever the name of that site is, and you can look it up. They've all got their own. Yeah, they all had their own. I wanted to do, I, I wanted to do a post about that on the Shrine one day, like about all seven main JLA. Characters had their own imp characters. <laughs> there you go. Got some fodder for next week. There you go. Um, we're st- one last bat entry, Batwoman, uh, here again drawn by Dick Giordano. And I love this entry actually a lot more. I think Dick Giordano drew women exceptionally well. And very classic old Hollywood style. There's a – in the background image, there's a just a profile – not a profile, a full-on shot of, of um, Kathy Kane – without her mask on. It's just a beautiful image. I mean, Dick Giordano drew a lot of romance comics in the 50s. You could see why he would have excelled at that. He was really, really good. Um, she was an Earth 2. She's the Earth 2 Batwoman. She first appeared in Detective Comics number 233. Um, and, she, just, you know, it's the, and uh, this was a, so the precursor to the Batwoman character that exists today. Yeah, I mean, this is Kathy Kane. Yeah, yeah. Or Kane, Kathy Kane. Kathy Kane, yeah. Um, you know what? Looking at these two, Batwoman and Batgirl... These were also designed in such a way to be next to each other. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. You got the you got the large face of each of them without their masks. You know, the, you know, the beautiful woman. They're both riding their motorcycles. They're both, you know, uh, 
that girl's taking someone out with a batarang. This girl's taking someone out with a can of spray. Their, their backs, if you had these two on facing pages, their backs would be to each other. Kind of, I mean, yeah. Are, yeah. I'm pretty sure these were designed to be up against each other. Right. Well, I mean, I, but I mean, they knew they would be because of the alphabetizing of it. But well, well, I don't know. When you start drawing it, though, you know, if you drew this three months before the series was put together, maybe they hadn't settled on the format. Maybe they thought they would cluster certain things I together. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to find out. I'll have to look into just, that. Just speculation. Just so. speculation. That's all what this show is about, speculation. Um, and now we are entering uh, Jack Kirby Town. Uh, <laughs> no kidding. Because um, the next four entries will be by Jack Kirby. Because um, they are all characters from New Gods, um, and, and that's and that's not a bad thing. Don't misinterpret. No, I'm not. I'm not I'm knocking. I'm just saying this is just interesting that just by the sheer quirk of fate and, and, and alphabet, you've got beautiful Dreamer, Ben Boxer, Big Barda, and Big Bear all clumped together. Um, Big beautiful Dreamer first appeared in Forever People number one. Ben Boxer first appeared in Commandy number one. Big Barda first appeared on Mister Miracle number four, and Big Bear first also also first appeared in Forever People number one. Beautiful Dreamer is, you know, I never really quite caught into the way Jack Kirby drew women. They just looked kind of weird and angular to me. Um, I'm, I'm, I can be persuaded here because uh, <laughs> Beautiful Dreamer looks quite fetching, especially in her ripped, low-cut top that we see yeah. in the main image. Um, so it's, you know, it's. It, I, I will admit, when I was a kid, I just was not into the new god, so I sort of glossed over these entries. I'm, I'm more appreciative of it now. But back then, I was just like, oh, okay, more more new god stuff. And flip, 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 flip. Well, I'm. Uh, it took me years to get the new gods. Honestly, it was probably till about 2001 um, that recently that I finally clicked with new gods. But I'll tell you, still to this day, forever people are the ones I click the least with. Okay, interesting. So it's it's not a knock against them. It's just. I, you know, give me Mr. Miracle and yeah, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Light Miracle. Ray and everything else first. You know, and, and then okay for other people. There is a um, Jack Kirby Absolute Edition of like all the New Gods stuff together in order. I someday if I have like an extra five hundred dollars, I want to buy that and read them all because I really would like to give it all, give the series a chance. Well, they um, did do these cool um, collected versions back. I don't know, about 10 or 15 years ago of the strips. And um, there are a couple volumes each, but they were in black and white. Mm. And that was pretty nice. Okay. Seeing Jack's artwork without color was really kind of cool. Interesting. Uh, so next up is Ben Boxer, who is like – Ben Boxer to me looks a bit like concept art for a superpowers figure. <laughs> because he's doing, he's doing an action. You've got three images in color, and then you've got the background image. But here he's standing there, and he's got this little uh, – a little drawing of, um, I'm guessing, uh, sperm on his chest. That's what the, like a sperm egg. Um, what? That's what it looks like. And then you, it looks like the thing from Look Who's Talking. So then, then he puts his hand over his chest and he like bursts into like light. And then he comes out on the other side and he's like made of silver or whatever. So it's like it really looks like, you know, this is how uh, – could we do a superpowers figure like this? He, he's the regular figure and then we put like the vac metalized effect on him or something like that. It, it, was a, it was a natural atomic pile. His body was made of a natural atomic pile. Of course it was. And then when he covered it, he would be covered – when he hit that thing, he'd be covered in a steel coating, oh. which was very flexible and durable. Oh, well, good. Good for him. It's run by Jack Kirby and Greg uh, Theakston, as was Beautiful Dreamer, I should mention. So, yeah. Uh, Greg Theakston is probably one of Jack Kirby's maybe single best inker. Him and Mike Royer are probably the two best guys that ever did Jack Kirby inking. 
I would say. And you get, like, the hyper-intelligent animals in the drawing and stuff. Yeah, I know. There's a lot script. of freaky Jack Kirby concepts going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, big Barda is next, and she is big. She This is this is probably my favorite Kirby listing, uh, at least for this issue, because she is bursting out of the frame to come to the reader. I mean, she's almost bursting past the border into the... Almost. Into the, into the, which would have been neat if they did. I don't know. I, we'll have to, as we go through these issues, we'll have to see if they ever did that. Probably not. But um, she's she's bursting at the seams, which to me is is great because she's six two, so for a female character that's pretty tall. I mean, in the real world, a six two woman would be a basketball player. In the DCU, that's just pretty tall. You know, yeah. the average woman in the DCU is probably a good, you know, half foot taller than than, than, than real women. But in the DCU, she's still pretty big. And, and I'd say Barta is appreciated nowadays amongst the fans. You know, as a strong, powerful woman character. But back then, she was stuck in the fourth world corner. Kind of, yeah. You know, people didn't really acknowledge her other than being, you know, she was the tough lady married to Mr. Miracle. Right. She's a cool character, even back then. And I don't don't know, um, just to take us down a little bit more of a smut realm, um, Kirby actually designed her, at least her physical look, not her costume, uh, based off of a lady from Playboy. Well, well... Not just a lady, an, an actress. Um, well, okay. Uh, an actress, Lanny. Oh God, I'm blanking on her name. I know this woman. She's like a. I'll look it up. Yeah, she's like a singer, actress, and who had, I guess they had done a Playboy layout. Um, like it was like a celebrity Playboy layout, and that's what he right. based her off of. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Lanny Kazan. Lanny Kazan. Lanny Kazan. Yes, yes. So, um, and what it is, I mean, they, he actually came out and said that she, you know, had recently appeared in Playboy, appeared topless in Playboy. Right. So, I mean. It, the Playboy piece played a role in his picking her. It oh, it absolutely just, did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and uh, he draws, you know, and it's interesting, this listing doesn't doesn't do her justice as a sexy woman. It does her justice as a very powerful woman. Yeah. But in the in the, in the the old Jack Kirby stuff, she was hot. Yeah, so it's, 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 it. and her costume's really bright and colorful, so it's really, it's a nice image. I've always loved the helmet thing. Yeah. It's, it's tough just one. cool. you got to be tough to wear that. You do. Um, next up is Big Bear, another uh, Forever People character, and I like behind Forever for behind Big Bear. You see his sweet ride. I love that Forever People like flying speed buggy thing that they drove. That, well, I love that was years a super, later. That was a superpowers toy that never got made. Well, years later, the Young Justice kids got a hold of it. Oh, that's just, right. I, that's right. Fly around it everywhere. It's great. It's a great. Like I said that would have made a great playset. Um, the design of this page is really interesting in that you see in the surprint, you see a profile of Big Bear, and then you see Big Bear with the forever people flying. And then in the background, you see a cityscape, but it's all done in silhouette, and it's tilted at, a, at an interesting angle. It's just like a, that's a neat kind of funky abstract design that, uh, that I, I really like. It really sort of juts out at you a little bit. It's not, it's not meant to be totally realistic, or it's not part of the rest of the image. Um, well, I guess it's part of the image of them flying through the car, but it's just, I just love that it's on a tilted axis. I think that's just like a, a nice touch. You know, it's interesting is this exam, this entry has a couple of things that are worth noting. One is that the, the flying car is in color yeah, behind him. Sitting behind him. Yeah. Parts. Yep. yeah. Another is that that last paragraph under his history is if not word for word, darn near same word for word as the last paragraph in beautiful dreamer. <laughs> Because it's just wrapping up what happened to the Forever People. Right, they were all on the same team, yeah. Just repeated it. <laughs> and and here, this is one of the first times I think we've seen where the text piece, they don't have enough to say. Yeah, there's like, a big empty space, yeah. <laughs> there's a big 
block a white space. Basically, they're like, mm, we're done with this game. <laughs> That'd be funny if they put in an ad. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. In that little space. Make sure you buy the New Gods Hunger Dog graphic novel. Right. So, <laughs> but it just, it, I always felt bad for Big Bear because I'm like, oh, he, I feel like he got sort of the short treatment here. I, I so, like in height, 6'5", weight 252. He looks huge. There's no way he's 252 pounds. He's got hollow. He's got hollow bones. I guess so. <laughs> hollow bones. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just got that. Okay. Next is Big Sur, uh, drawn by Carmen Infantino and Klaus Jansen. An interesting combination. Um, I think they tip their hand a little bit in terms of the Big Sur character. Big Sur character. He's got these big buck teeth. He's got the bizarre helmet where his bald head shoots through the top of it. Um, and his real name, the character's real name is Doofus P. Ratchet. Yes. So I think I'm supposed to get that he's not terribly smart. I think I get that here. <laughs> uh, I I actually read a few issues of Flash towards the end, and I apparently missed the era with Big Sur. And so every time this character would show up, like, you know, in Who's Who or wherever, he just he frustrated me. Because like you said, the way he sh- they showed his hand, and and he's responsible for some important stuff. I mean, he disfigured Barry Allen. Yeah, he was, he was big in, in the, the final couple of years of the Flash book. He was yeah. fairly significant. He totally screwed up Barry Allen's face, and they had Barry Allen had to have reconstructive surgery and look like someone else, yeah. <laughs> all because of what this guy did to him. And it just it always bugged me because it's like he's too stupid to be important. <laughs> I love here at the end they have to gently uh, finally subdued. Ratchet was taken by the Flash to Gorilla City, see Gorilla City, where their super science. Uh, corrected his mental deficiencies. Today, Ratchet has a near-genius IQ and is seeking a way to make a viable contribution to society. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, he was just kind of slow. I don't think he was necessarily like... Well, they said he was in a Central City's mental hospital. So. Oh, no, he was he was definitely mentally challenged because right. the, the rogues completely manipulated him. Okay, that's right. And he's walking around with these giant metal spikes and his mace with giant metal spikes. He's kind of scary. Yeah. There's not a lot of space for the listing, so he's kind of crammed in there. They have to kind of, like, jam him in this little space. It's, uh, what and you're right. In- Infantino and Jansen are a weird combination. Weird combo. Weird combo. Um, next is Bizarro. And speaking of superpowers entries, this was literally the art they used to pitch the Bizarro figure for the Superpowers fourth wave, which we talked about on the Fire and Water podcast. Yeah. Um, drawn by Kevin O'Neill, which is definitely one of DC's um, uh, branching out to, to, to artists who never did work for them, usually do work for them. Kevin O'Neill was not somebody that typically worked for DC, although he had done some, I think, Tales of the Green Lantern backups. Back in oh, Lantern. okay. But, I mean, just a, a unique choice to get somebody with a kind of edgy, almost scary art style to take on Bizarro. I thought that was a really interesting choice to, to get him as opposed to say, you know, like Kurt Swan or somebody that was more typically known for as a Superman artist. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he came from the 2000 AD era, you know, and, um, he had drawn some stuff for, as you said, uh, the, the tales of green Lantern, but he had done some Omega men and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess martial law was still a couple years away. I'm yes. not entirely yeah, sure yeah, about that. That happened yet. Yeah. But uh, martial law is really where he went off the rails, and that's kind of what he's known for nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> it's and I love the little um, his toe sticking through the boot. I absolutely the, love that disheveled kind of nasty look. Absolutely love um, that his toe's coming through. On the opposite page is Bizarro World. Now here they got Kurt Swan drawn by, and it's Kurt Swan and Carl Kiesel. Um, I thought it was interesting that they didn't get Kevin O'Neill to do Bizarro World. 
too. I thought it would have made sense to just get let him do both. Um, the thing I think about most when I when I see the Bizarro World, the Square Bizarro World, was that Alan Moore apparently had pitched a miniseries to DC set in the Bizarro World, where he oh wanted, where he wanted to examine what it was like. He's like, how do you live on the corner? Of Bizarro World. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, exactly. You know, like, it's all this stuff that when it's a kid, you just accept it. And you're like, wait, you can't live on a corner. How does that even work? That's awesome. What's well, the ocean on the corner? Oh, no, there's some well, land there's on the corner. There's land on the corners, yeah. Or how do you live yeah. on the edge? You know, how do yeah. you live on the edge of a plane? You look over. So that was, you know, unfortunately, DC never took Alan Moore up on it. And now it'll never happen. But uh, it's too bad because I would have loved to have seen how that concept played out. Well, they, should, they did a couple of Bizarro comics. They did, you know, yeah. And they should have done that there. Yeah. The thing that I – every time I think of Bizarro World, my favorite thing about the whole Bizarro World stuff, for whatever reason, is um, the yellow candle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yellow the, the Bizarro Green Lantern, yeah, the yellow candle. <laughs> it just – it always cracked me up as a kid. I found it fascinating because, you know, it's like green light gives you – you know, the only color rings you had were green and yellow anyway because of Sinestro. And so I always found that fascinating and then I – it's even funnier that he ran out of power after 24 hours and never recharged again, I guess. And it's, it's very strange. It's, uh, they, they, you see Bizarro Crypto there. It's, it's kind of tragic when you think about it. Like a whole alien planet, it's just like creepy and everything's all weird. It's just – they played it for laughs mostly, but I don't know. It's kind of – you know, <laughs> it's like nightmare fuel in some ways really. And there was, will... there was Bizarro Aquaman. He only made two appearances, but there was a Bizarro Aquaman. There was a bizarre firestorm um, in the was? superpowers card. In the superpowers oh, okay. card, oh, I, like, wow. I don't think he ever appeared in the comics, though. Okay. Now I will say that on um, this Kurt Swan art, we we made some disparaging comments about Mister Swan on the last episode. I don't they think got it was disparaging. We just said we're just not a big fan. That's not. I don't know. If that's disparaging. Well, we, we, disparaging we, is it's bad. We didn't well, say it we was ticked, bad. We ticked, well, so that's where I'm going. Is we ticked off some of our listeners. So well, uh, I will say that uh, Carl Kiesel. Over Kurt Swan is pretty enjoyable. Yeah, it gives it a nice slight, like a kind of an edgier look to it. Not, no yep. pun intended, but yeah, I think that's a nice combo. And um, it, you know, it's, you know, I didn't even notice, but if you notice, the picture is at an angle. Yeah, like everything's <laughs> sort of like the old Batman TV series. Whenever you were in a bad guy's hideout, everything was at an angle. Yeah, you know, sort of that, like that. Um, they don't list like they do with the Batcave. They don't list the first appearance of Bizarro World, which again is unfortunate. Like if you wanted to collect the Bizarro character, it would help to be able to look it up and. Well, you know, when I look at these things, you realize how much how perfect Who's Who would work as an online feature with all the hyperlinks. Yeah. And you see Gorilla City. You just click and you go to Gorilla City. That would really be kind of an amazing thing. Well, you know, I started thinking what what you said as far as like marketing older comics, you know, with the, with their big push to digital right now. Right. They could do something like that if, if they market pre-crisis comics, you know, like they, like they did a big sale on Aquaman recently. Yes. You know? Let's just say instead of it's a whole history thing, let's say they do a, a series of Western comics, you know, whatever. And they could put that Batlash entry up there because mm-hmm. it is a snapshot in time as, as a one-page ad for those Batlash comics or something mm-hmm. almost. like I mean it, would, it could work. It, I'm trying to figure out how you could repurpose this material, and I really think nowadays that would work. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, let's move on to the next page because I'm taking over. Okay. <laughs> Firestorm villain Black Bison drawn by I, Pat Broderick. I, I, just said I'm taking over. You just you just sit down and take a breath there, young man. All right, here we go, folks. John Ravenhair. He's awesome. Uh, he was a Firestorm villain. Appeared in Fury of Firestorm number one, and uh, he's he started off really cool. He's a, you know Native American sort of concept with powers and stuff like that, and he could animate like old 
horses that were in a museum that were stuffed and bears. Then it got a little weird. Then he started animating like Alice in Wonderland statues. And he's just kind of like, how is that Native American-ish? I don't get that. But um, very cool character. Gorgeous drawing. Pat Broderick knocked this one out yeah, of the it's park. A very, nice, got very nice illustration. Yeah, the foreground, Black Bison looks great. He's got the, the bison head on him. He's got the glowing uh, amulet and the and the staff, and he's just a really nice Native American sort of powerful looking character. And then in the background, you've got all the uh, the serpent is almost done in ghostly cloud images and stuff. Like you can see the image of his great grandfather, which is what drove him insane and gave him his power. Yeah, it's a cross hatching type uh, thing as opposed yeah. to line art. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. And then you've got uh, Firestorm fighting all these animated creatures that Black Bison created. And uh, it's just – it's a powerful, gorgeous piece. And by this point, um, Raphael Cayennan, I believe, had taken over the Firestorm book. So this is Pat Broderick coming back to a character he had done before. And uh, it's just a powerful, really gorgeous image. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a way of taking a character that most people probably knew, didn't know and, and making him look quite impressive. So Yeah. That's what Who's Who's all about. Um, speaking of impressive, next is Blackbriar Thorn who is not like a big character. He first appeared in DC Comics Presents number 66. I think he only had one or two appearances. But he's drawn by Joe Kubert, and it's a great listing. It's very dramatic. He's got his hands raised up to the sky, sort of, uh, you know, screaming or whatever in the, the, the heavens. And in the background, you see him fighting Superman and the demon. Um, it's just a beautiful piece of artwork. There's not much of a listing, but, boy, it's a great – it poses dramatic, well lit. Um, it's, it's a really, really nice piece of art. Honestly, I think that this listing is directly responsible for Black, Black Briar Thorn. I can't freaking say his name. Nuclear. Black, you're right. Black Briar Thorn hanging around as long as he did. Now, Joe Kubert did draw that DC Comics Presents issue. Um, so, you mean that's, you know, Kubert was the ideal choice to draw it. But this, this entry is so powerful yeah. and so cool. I think this is why Black Briar Thorn. That guy on page 25, it's like a tongue twister. The Black guy Briar opposite Thorn. Black Bison. <laughs> there it is. Um, I think that's why he keeps coming back because, I mean, no one's going to remember an old DC Comics Presents issue. But this, woof, this is powerful. Yeah, it is very, very nice. Um, next up is a dual entry, uh, both Black Canaries. Black Canary right, here, Black Canary here 1 come, and 2. Here comes the explicit tag. As I like to call this one, the mind. Oh, oh my. Bleep it if you want, but I think I'm going this to. this entry, you like you read it and you're like, what? Yeah, I know. There, what? That origin was so confusing. <laughs> just just for you listeners at home, if you're not familiar with pre-crisis Black Canary, the, the short version is Black Canary on Earth Two had a daughter. The daughter was stolen by the wizard, who put her, who cursed her. I'm sorry with it with a, with a sonic scream that she couldn't control. <laughs> So then Black Canary says, oh, Johnny Thunder, will you please take my child and put her somewhere safe in suspended animation in another dimension? Then Johnny Thunder made them all forget she ever had a child or made them think Superman. the baby died. Superman, not Johnny Thunder. Superman. What's it? Well, it says here Thund- uh, Johnny Thunder made Lance's forget. So you, so you said you think Superman made them forget. Did he kiss them both, a husband He's and wife? Involved. I forget. It, 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 they detail it in JLA number 219 and 220, and Superman is involved in that. Okay. When he, when well, he was transporting Black Canary from Earth 2 to Earth 1, where she joins the JLA. Because they had to explain how 
the oh, yeah. character who was around in World War II was all of a sudden as young as everybody else over on Earth-1. Oh, I'm getting there. Yeah. It gets more confusing. <laughs> so they think the baby's dead, but the baby's actually trapped in this international, inter, inter, interdimensional area. Then, you know, Black Canary is traveling for Earth-1. She, she goes <laughs> – it's so confusing. She goes from Earth-2 to Earth-1, and she goes and – in the in the middle of the dimensions, in between the two, she goes to visit her daughter. She finds out she's still alive. Then the old canary dies. It wants her young daughter to take her place, and puts the old black canary's memories of the young daughter's body, erasing her mind. It, what? The yeah, hell? it is. It is it, that that origin story breaks the goofy meter. There's no doubt about it. It's just completely nuts. Yeah, and I'm sorry I dropped the f bomb, but it is. And I love it that is. one of the things I love about that origin is that Superman kept the secret from Black Canary all those years, which is like always, you know, gives you a hint of like that Superman really thinks he's better than everybody else. You know, that he has the power to keep that from people. Right. <laughs> Let me like, handle it. You can't handle your life. Let me handle it. So if I found out I was my own child. And I had my <laughs> memories have been implanted over my child's memories and totally erased that child's basic existence for me to take – what the heck? I know. It's, you, you just got to move on. You really do. It's, the, the art is beautiful. It's by Terry Austin. He yes. works both characters in um, – the, 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 the modern Black Canary is wearing her 80s flash dance outfit sort of, um, uh. which didn't last that long. But, uh, but it's a really – it's a beautiful piece of artwork. And I love the, lo- the use of the logos, the different logos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the the second logo is from the brief run in Adventure Comics where Black Canary was written by it was a two parter written by Denny O'Neill and drawn by Alex Toth. Which oh wow! Is a great two parter, and um, I think that's where they took that logo from because it looks it's a very Tothy logo. Well, I was going to say the first logo on the left actually sort of a stylized version of that was picked up when she had her series in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's basically that's always been her as basic logo. Oh, okay. the years, but then I guess they just wanted to, to give her a different one for the second character when they had them next to each other. So, you know, it's like I, I have always dug this drawing, and I, I'm one of the few people that actually like that '80s costume. I think it's a nice snapshot of the '80s mm. with the big white boots and stuff. But now, sitting here looking, I'm like, why do they both have their legs up on the logos? And like, it's almost like a "Hey, look at my crotch" it's, sort of. It picture. has a little bit of a um, um, Playboy layout when they had like twins or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> familiar with that um right next is um uh, black condor drawn by jerry ordway which means it's perfect the the face (laughs) on black condor is amazingly cool it's an amazing drawing now if you take the time to read the text and i don't know about yours in mine it's like the print got real weak Uh, this happened every so often on husu where like the black ink didn't come through all that well on the page and some of the words are hard to make out i don't know if you had that problem on yours or not a little bit yeah some of it But here's where it gets – I'm really kind of glad Black Canary and Black Condor are on facing pages because here's where, again, some of the crazy multi-world stuff, actually, both of them. Uh, Black Condor, uh, you know, he's he's from Earth 2, then Earth X, then Earth 1, then back to Earth X. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. And I, my favorite part about the Black Condor entry is he's raised by unusually – and, and it, it, <laughs> Can't even say it without laughing. He was raised by an unusually intelligent race of condors. <laughs> Not your usual smart condors. These are right. extra smart condors. I mean, I've heard about you know Tarzan and the apes, but come on. And the, and then he assumed the role of a of a senator that he just happened to look like. I mean, there was some crazy sauce going on with this black <laughs> condor. In fact, I think it's pretty apropos. The first comic he appeared in was Crack Comics. You know. <laughs> 
so yeah um it's uh <laughs> yeah yeah um the uh uh I don't have anything to add to that, so I'm just going yeah, <laughs> it, to... It stands on its own, my friend. It sure does. The logo, I do want to mention the logo is gorgeous. It's a very 40-style logo. Uh, the, the, oh, that's the cool, yeah, I like that. Really, really nice. Um, again, this is a way of making kind of a... What could be kind of a doofy old character look really quite compelling and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, next is Blackfire, which is a villain from the New Teen Titans, and of course, drawn by George Perez. Um, Ab- Gorgeous drawing. Yeah. I think that's what Starfire's sister, I believe. Yep. Yeah, Starfire's sister. Her evil sister. Evil, well, of course, evil sister. Um, but yeah, it's a very nice one. The, the background is fairly sparse. It's pretty much just a, a space background. It's more of a design thing than it is any anything else. Like, he did, Perez, you know, George Perez is known for, like, sticking 75 characters into a small space. Here he's not drawing anybody. It's kind of unusual. Um, but here it's, but just, that... it's just a pose and then some, some backgroundy stuff. But there's a lot of detail. I mean, it's simple, but if you really look, he did a lot oh, of yeah, detail. Oh, yeah, there's the star patterns. and Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. I'm just saying it's I mean, unusual that it's not people. I'm looking at the Kirby crackle. I'm looking at her <laughs> hair. I'm looking about every single one of the tiny little jeweled things around her face piece. Mm-hmm. You know, her cape's got all this ornate patterns. I mean, he put a lot into this drawing. And it's, I mean, all right, um, I'll go into this later when we get to the S issues, but I despise Starfire. Okay. A lot. Okay. Um, and everything to do with her character. That includes Blackfire. Now, I will say, though, artistically, you know, Blackfire is a really cool-looking character. And sexy. She's sexy and cool-looking, and this drawing is awesome. And those black high heels, and it's working for me. It's nice. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, <laughs> Probably for the best. Next is Black Hand, drawn by Gil Kane, an old Green Lantern villain. So, it makes sense. Or the Black big... Hand. The huge character from Blackest Night. Yes, you know, see what he can do. He can dust somebody off and make him a real badass. Um, here, you see his, you see him uh, zapping Green Lantern with his, I don't know, the green black handy ray thing. No, it's it, it, it like sucks Green Lantern energy and stuff. Oh, is that what it does? Okay, that's one. That's one of its abilities. Yeah, I like his magenta triangle on his chest. It signifies <sighs> for different things nowadays. All right, now you tell me, is this a good Gil Kane drawing? Yes. Really? Yeah, I like it. Even the black hand in the background? Yeah. In the surprint? Yes. With the big, goofy ears? Yeah, I mean, he does have big ears, but so what? I'll say the face in the background, a black mask without his mask on, mm-hmm. is is a great drawing. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, I just, it's okay. not there for me. I'm not, I'm not here to convince you. Okay. I think it's interesting that one of his shticks... Is uh, I was reading this because you know I was, I was interested because you know obviously I read Blackest Night and everything too. But one of his shticks is he likes to use cliches. <laughs> he says uh, his his single affectation is a fascination with cliche sayings, and he has based many of his crimes on these old adages. <laughs> Something Jeff Johns did not retain. Yeah, he just sort of ignored that. <laughs> <laughs> we got rid of so. that. Um, next is a two-page. It's, it's interesting. It's two different listings, yet it's kind of one listing. Black Hawk and then the other pages are the Black Hawks, drawn yep. by Dave Cockrum and Murphy Anderson. And it's kind of a neat little bit of the, the format busting because it is... Oh, the, he's, out. he's into the border. Oh, he is into the border. There you go. He's over... The, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, but, I mean, it's done as two different listings because they both have their own sets of borders, but yet it's clearly one image because Black Hawk is looking off the page at the Black Hawks who are charging behind him. Oh, yeah, he's calling them. That's he's what that hand means. Yeah. He's, Come on, boys, let's yeah. get those let's ratsies. Kill those ratsies. So it's it's a neat 
way of like it, it's two different listings, but it's also one listing. So I, I sort of like that they were already, you know, we're already on we're already on book two, and we're already sort of busting the format a little bit. And also, you see the surprint image is spilling over into the text. Mm, There's yeah. the, the woman behind him there, who's Domino, I believe, and she, there she is with her her rifle, her uh, machine gun, and it's popping into the uh, text. So, and you know, this is just just in the beginning of desktop publishing. So that might not have been the easiest thing to, to, to do. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, I will take back, last time, you know, we had talked about Kurt Swan, and now I will say Inks by Carl Kiesel is interesting. And we also talked about Murphy Anderson. And I will say that Murphy Anderson over Dave Cockrum in this sort of non-superhero type work is really nice. Yeah, I, I, that's why I talked about, we talked about on the Fire and Water about George Tuska. I mean, I know you're not a fan of George Tuska, but like, but like, you know, there were a lot of guys that were really good comic book artists, but just not good at superheroes, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think Murphy Anderson is kind of like a guy that was better at other things. But, of course, superheroes were the – that was what everybody was doing. So they got glommed. Yeah. They got forced onto doing some books that maybe were not their strong suit. I'd say that about Don Heck, you know, like that too. I think just mm-hmm. guys better at other things. Yeah. So it's a nice dual listing. He's got the other – the Blackhawks, Stanislaus, Chuck, Olaf, Hendrickson, Chop Chop. <laughs> I was gonna say there. I mean, there. There's your uh, <laughs> uh, racial insensitivity yeah, moment, gonna, folks. Chop on. chop. I'm gonna, move, I'm gonna move on with that one. Um, but anyway, the Blackhawks had just uh, gotten revived um, in their own book again because there was a Spielberg had optioned the movie, and DC wanted a, a Blackhawk book on the stand just because Spielberg had optioned the movie, which is why they got the book got revived. Um, it obviously didn't go anywhere, but this is why the Blackhawks sort of got as much attention as they did, is because DC thought, well, there may be a movie in this. So. Yeah. Um, and then the, the Blackhawks actually end out the book because they get their own page of the Blackhawk plane and the Blackhawk island, which to me blows the bad cave away. The Blackhawk island, they have their own island. <laughs> I mean, that's a place in. You know, that is going to be submarine pens, hazardous, hazardous material, material storage, storage long-range yeah. search radar. And you know what? They actually may have been thinking playset when they did this because if they're thinking there's a movie coming, yeah, yeah, this could have been designed as a prototype. You know, It could have almost been for the film production crew is what they were kind of imagining. They could hand it as a you – know, say, hey, here's your movie set or, or here's your toy it, yeah. set. Yep. Abs- oh, absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure. With G- I mean, the GI Joe toys were were going at this point. So why not? Why couldn't you do a Blackhawk line? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a set. It's a great set. I mean, the Blackhawk Island existed in the, since the '40s. But this, I'm sure, the reason part of the reason they wanted to give it this much space, maybe for that exact reason. So. And it would come back in other stories. I, I'm trying to remember if it was a comic or a cartoon where there was a big thing where they had to go race to Blackhawk Island. Well, it was on Justice, old- League, Justice League Unlimited. That's what, I was, that's what I was Hawk. thinking. Yeah. Okay, yeah, they had to go to Blackhawk Island to find something. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's the final page of Volume 2, and then the, the inside cover is the previews, you know, where these characters can be found. As we mentioned in the previous issue, when you see some of the covers, they cho- in the first issue, you see, like, I don't know, something like two dozen covers, and you basically just see the logos because they had to fit so many in a small space. Here they decided to, to forego that, and they just show six books. I guess they figured it was better to show the cover images as opposed to just showing logos. So they go from, you know, showing, trying to fit in 20, 20 to 25 titles to just these six. So you're talking about where Azrael is, where Babe is, where Blackhawk is, where, you know, Batman. I like, Batman appears every month in Batman, Detective Comics, World's Finest, and Batman and the Outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's funny when you think about it now, how quaint that is, that he's only in four books. Right. <laughs> and then now, it's like how much of the New 52 is Batman devoted? It's like one-tenth of the line is, is 
Batman titles. It's interesting about these covers they showed, too, was that four of them are cover dated April. Um, and two of them are cover dated May. So the two from May are definitely in the future. You know, you've got the, the Crisis cover and the Teen Titans cover were actually hadn't been released yet. Right. And I got to assume the other four probably had not been released also, because I seem to recall whenever Who's Who came out, the images in the back were comics that were not on the shelf just yeah, yet. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. So it was like the first time you ever saw the upcoming cover, because nowadays we're so spoiled. Yeah. We, we see the cover four and a half months in <laughs> Here it's like, you know, this is coming out in a couple of weeks, and oh my gosh, they're fighting Night and Fog, you know, or whatever. <laughs> That's never been said before, at least with that level of excitement. So. Right, absolutely true. So, um, so anyway, so that, that is going to wrap up our look at book two, volume two of, of Who's Who. Um, we are just going to try to change it up the format a little from Fire and Water. We are just going to go right into our voluminous uh, <laughs> listener feedback. We got a ton of it, so uh, I guess without further ado, Shag, do you want to get started with that? Well, yeah. As, as we said in the first episode, we're going to do listener feedback a little different than we do on Fire and Water. On Fire and Water, we take the time to go through every single letter and uh, try and read as much of it as we can. Given that Rob and I have been talking, I think now for two hours. Um, we're at the 90-minute mark, yeah. Yeah, um, and that this is sort of a different show. I, we're still going to make sure we acknowledge everyone, and by no means do we want to discourage comments and feedback because what, what we're seeing so far in Who's Who is the biggest amount of interaction is happening over on our blogs, which is uh, AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. We're going to post, you know, and this is maybe where you found it. We're going to post an entry that says, hey, the new episode of Who's Who's Up. And there is a tremendous amount of back and forth going on between y'all, the listeners. And, you know, there's no forum per se, but the comments is serving almost like a forum where you guys are having conversations about this. And I think that's awesome, y'all. That is so cool that you guys are chatting with each other about Who's Who, sharing your thoughts on what uh, either the entries or the issues or Rob and I's nonsense, whatever. <laughs> Or arguing with each other. You know, it's great. So definitely visit FirestormFan.com and AquamanShrine.com. Jump in on the comments. Share some of your thoughts. Um, first thing I do want to read, though, is uh, one of the, we asked last episode to say, hey, folks, send us your origin story with Who's Who, how you came across Who's Who for the first time. And I wanted to go ahead, and we did get one of those from our good friend Siskoid, who um, says he's the world's biggest who's who fan, but he's glad for the competition of the podcast, which he is runs, great. He runs the blog, Siskoid's blog of geekery, we should mention. Yes, and it's a fantastic site. You've got to go visit it. There's so much – I mean, everything he writes about is in my wheelhouse. It's, it's astonishing. So uh, I absolutely love it. So he wrote, um, I'm about Rob's age, so I must have been 13 when it first came out. And at the time, I'd gotten the last two issues of Marvel Universe, the pre-deluxe edition. I was such a nerd, I initially hated that Who's Who didn't have the exact stats and how much any character could bench press. <laughs> but because it was a quicker read with better art and more characters, it soon became the favorite encyclopedia series. I read or flipped through, I read or flipped through number one so many times, it's literally falling apart. At my nerdiest... I would give my gang of friends superhero identities for the month, like some kind of who's who dial H version of Cowboys and Indians. <laughs> that is I cool. Still, I like that. That's awesome. I still miss doing that, and I miss the series in any form. But comics are superior. But he says, but the comics are superior to the loose leaf. So I agree. With um, that. And he gave us a lot of other feedback uh, on stuff. And by the way, he's the one who's responsible for making me and Rob realize we hadn't mentioned the yellow bubble borders yes. yet. Yes. So thank you for that. Um, all right, I'm going to run through real quick and give shout-outs, uh, and then Frank, you, I mean, not Frank, I'm sorry, Rob, you jump Ouch. in here. 
Well, Frank's the first person we're going to jump in and talk about. So uh, thank you, folks. And again, forgive us for not reading every comment, but we are just going to make sure everyone gets acknowledged and keep up the, the, the feedback, folks. It's great. Caffeinated Joe gave us a comment over an Aquaman Shrine. Thank you. Oren's dad, awesome. Diablo Frank, I, I did want to jump out. He, he corrected us on something. We said uh, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe um, – was pretty much a contemporary of who's who when uh, Frank noticed actually it it actually the first run of uh, as he calls it Uhatmu uh, the original run of Uhatmu ended 11 months before who's who number 1 so that sort of lends some thought to that the apocryphal story that DC had the idea first and Marvel stole the idea from them eh, that there may not be a lot of truth to that rumor I think it's definitely true about the role-playing game, but I don't necessarily know that it's true about this situation. Yeah, I'd always heard that story, but yeah, it doesn't – That the time-wise, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If, if By the way, Frank gave us so many comments, he labeled them A through Z. Yeah. <laughs> and instead of having to come up with new alphabetical letters, he actually doubled up some of his comments. Yes. I do uh, want to <laughs> highlight uh, one comment. Uh, comment P, Gil Kane is a god, Shag. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> uh, it goes on to say down here um, he's comparing the Rick Hoberg to Gil Kane art and he's saying the yeah, Adam Rick, listings yeah he says Rick Hoberg looks like a watered down Silver Age whereas Kane looks like in all caps a superior form of artistic life so there was a clear evolutionary scale at work across the two pages oh Frank <laughs> love, so true. we love you so much you're so funny uh, we got a nice shout out from uh Daniel Cynical Adams, who is uh, responsible for our awesome opening and closing theme. Oh, boy. It's so cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, 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 him and his band, the band, the band Mamma Jammas, are tremendous. Um, yeah. We got a comment from Earth 2 Chris, who I just wanted to mention. He said, love the podcast, guys. I will admit this is my first podcast by the two of you, but I'm new to the podcast realm, so don't feel bad. Oh, and Marshall Rogers studied to be an architect before getting into comics, so that's why he did so many of these headquarters locale drawings for Who's Who. It also explains his absolutely gorgeous Gotham City and his Batman tales. I never knew that. I did not know. That's a great deed. That makes total sense. Is why he did all those drawings. He was a uh, architecture student. So thank you, Chris. That's a great little bit of detail. The more you know. The more you know. Uh, Russell Burbage chimed in little, and actually little Russell Burbage. Little Russell Burbage chimed in and actually shared a piece of uh, information I didn't pick up on, but he mentioned that George Perez drew. All of the Titans entries. Well, he, and the did, perfect- well, he drew them all. He didn't draw Azrael, as we just mentioned. Well, but Azrael appeared in the post-Perez era. Yeah, that's true. By then, Perez was not the only artist drawing that thing. Yeah. So he drew the core characters. Yeah. And I, I never – I mean, well, it makes sense. I didn't really pick up on that. He drew all that. That's great. Um, and then we got – and this is where you see some of the conversation going back and forth. We got more comments from Caffeinated Joe. So, I mean, it's just great. Everyone's jumping in. Over on Firestorm Fan, we mentioned Ciscoid. Um Frank's also commenting there. Uh, he, he made a good point where he said one of the reasons why Uhatmu was better is because it still exists. It's still around today and that Marvel cares about their continuity whereas DC's running away from it. And I thought that was, you know, it's an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. So, um, Luke Jack, Luke Jackanetti. He, uh, jokes. yeah, it's a, that's an old fire and water joke. Sorry folks, but he sounds like a bad boy cop. Anyway, uh, Surprisingly, there's a lot of love out there for Angleman. <laughs> we did not expect that. So <laughs> a lot of folks sticking up for him. And in fact, Luke's got some cool ideas on how to make him like an awesome character. Hey, to, wait a to be fair to what? us, we were not picking on Angleman. We were simply responding to the lack of respect DC gave him. Oh, no, I think I was picking on him. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> I, I, I make a habit of picking on him because I'm resentful because of that uh, Justice League Unlimited package with Firestorm, Killer Frost, and Angleman. I saw that. that at a, I saw that at the Wizard World Philly show the other week. I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, because that makes sense. Uh, they couldn't have done a Black Bison figure? Come on. I'm sure there wouldn't be any outrage from the Native American community about that. Um, is then we get more, con- you know, it's a lot of back and forth between Luke and Frank. Um, Keith Samra, our friend from Down Under, chimed in. Thank you so much. A lot of back and forth over there. In fact, Luke uh, wrote some interesting information about uh, Arax, Son of Thunder. So go out there and check that out. So. Which I didn't think was possible. I, you know what? The book went a long time. And, lo- and it looked super cool. It just if I was in a sword and sorcery or yeah. sword and sandal and sorcery, whatever it is, I probably would have dug it. Okay, here we go. Twitter, thank you, Twitter folks. Quite a few of you guys helping promote this uh, Who's Who podcast, which really means the world to us, guys. Uh, thanks to Bauhaus45, our friend Hector Negrete, uh, Corey Hodgden, which is High Rock, Luke Giaconetti, LJ, or L. Jacone, there you go, uh, our buddy Raul Cotto, verified. The real Raul real, real real Raul Cotto stepped one. in. Mas Fuego, who wants us to know that not only is he an Aquaman fan, our Firestorm fan, he's also an Aquaman fan. Paul Bowler, uh, who's a good buddy and supporters. Uh, Siskoy, thank you very much. Luke Dab, the most dastardly creative man in uh, in in the world. Dab Creative. Uh, Charles Bernard, CCB twelve twelve. Lee Novak, Lee Novak sixteen. Alan Middleton, who's Professor Allen. C. Dan- uh, C. David Danny, Zan Faker. Uh, or Zen Faker, sorry. Uh, Randy Caldwell, Mr. Perturbed. We'll talk about him in just a minute. Yes. Uh, Speed Force, thank you, Kelson. Speed Force or, uh, Org. Uh, Rihanna Lauren, thank you very much. And Greg Arugo? Arugo? Arugo, I would say. Yeah. Which is Garujo1. Now, Hector had a good point. He asked us some questions across Twitter. Um, he was very complimentary, first of all, thank you. But then he said he needs a visual reference. And you know what? He, he said um, he doesn't know anything about who's who. Uh, comics were very rare in the 80s in Mexico, so he's flying totally blind here. And he asked if there's any trade paperbacks or can see any visual references or if there's a Twitter feed or anything. And unfortunately, Hector, there's not. DC's never collected these. They've never reprinted them. They've never done anything with them. So the best uh, things I can recommend would be to maybe um, order them online. i got to imagine they don't cost much. No. They're very, they're very prevalent. You could probably get them cheap. So maybe um, not trying to pick out one particular retailer. I saw, I'm sorry, but I'll just mention Mile High Comics. Uh, I get a lot of stuff through them because their prices are great. And if you sign up for their newsletter, they, they'll give you uh, discounts and stuff. You code words, they give you promo discounts and stuff. I'm sure there's a million other retailers out there that people support and believe in. Um, that's how I would get them. In fact, uh, we'll talk about in a minute someone who did that very thing. Oh, I also want to mention just um, we're not. I'm not ready. We're not ready to fully announce yet, but there may be – a uh, some sort of companion, visual companion that Shag and I are going to put up that will allow people to look at this stuff uh, as a support with the podcast along. So, but we'll when we finalize that, we'll announce that later on. Yeah, we're not ready to talk about that because this is the first time I've ever heard of it. Yes, I don't even know what he's talking about, <laughs> folks. So I'm I'm as much in the dark as you are. So. <laughs> Well, that's how we like to do things. We like to spring things on each other during the show. It's how we roll. All right. Over on Facebook, a legion of people came out to support the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm just going to blaze through these names. There's so many. Kelly Logue, Daniel Cynical Adams, Christopher J. Warden, Scott Gardner, Brian Adams, not the singer, Corey Hodgson. Oh, Carlos. Uh, I'm going to try, Carlos. Carlos Guillemarez de Almeida. Pretty good. 
Maybe. Uh, Robert Gross, Kevin Culp, Arthur Channing, Hector Canning. Negrete. Canning. What? Canning, Canning yes. Uh, I'm thinking of Carol Channing. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Hector Negrete, Wagner Oliveira, Mike Gillis, Andrew Capellish, Joe Mello, Michael Bradley, Sean Myers, and Keith G. Baker. Let me tell you guys, and it's fun because each one of these names, it's like I, I know all of you now, which is so cool. You know, it's like this big, just calling out friends' names that I can't say right. It's fun. Um, why am I the guy that has to say all the tough words, which is totally not fair. Anyway, Andrew, um, had, Andrew came out and, uh, and he stood up for Kurt Swan. So, uh, good on you, man. So you're, you're wrong, but whatever. I, I do want to mention he, Shag is re- shy, he wrote Shag is wrong about so many things. I just want to mention that part of the letter. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, here, here's the fun moment for me, folks. <laughs> The very first comment we got when we released a Who's Who podcast, we put it through the iTunes feed a day early. The very first bit of feedback we got, folks, was from our good buddy Randy Caldwell. And guess where we got it from? Through Google+. Plus. Mm. So Rob, the man who hates Google+, and wants it to oh die in fiery death. Uh, <laughs> It, he specific, you know, Randy went out there specifically and had some great things to say about it. He jumped in about um, Kurt Swan as well. Um, he he pointed out to me because in the last podcast we had talked about that uh, there's a lot of Swamp Thing entries in the last podcast, and I had not read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, and a lot of people were like, you know, beating on me for that. I'm sorry. Well, they well, should. But I have made reparations. I have purchased the first four Alan Moore Swamp Thing trade paperbacks. I blazed through the first two and have fell in love with them. Yep. Oh, my gosh, they're so good. Uh, it reminds me why I fell in love with Vertigo when it started. It really does. Like, this This is it. This is, oh, my gosh, this is great stuff. And uh, Randy even pointed out that Firestorm was in uh, Swamp Thing number 24. So thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you to Diablo Frank for mentioning us over on his site, DC Bloodlines. You guys should check that out at dcbloodlines.blogspot.com. And here we go, folks. We have uh, we have the Steam Award over in the Fire and Water podcast, which is uh, someone that has gone above and beyond in some way regarding Firestorm and Aquaman. And here, folks, this is our first award. Now, the name is maybe in flux. I don't know. I simply came up with the Who's Who in Podcast Listening Award. You know, maybe we'll come up with something else. But your winner is... Mr. Sean Myers. Yes. Sean went out and bought all the back issues of Who's Who that he was missing after listening to the first episode. He said, uh, I had the first 10, mi- 10 issues and had always wanted to pick up the rest of the series. I traveled to Baltimore, a 90-minute trip each way, or one way, each weekend, and listened to the podcast on the way. I liked the first episode so much, I wanted to be sure I was ready for more. So I checked out eBay and saw a great price for the entire series. Congratulations, Sean. You have won yeah, the that list- is dedication. Yes. And uh, the listening award is uh, just as uh, material as anything is <laughs> when you listen to it. It is just goes right through your hands. And usually we, uh, in one year, out the other. So that is – that's that. <laughs> the, I want to mention the award is as tangible as the respect Shag and I have for one another. <laughs> there, oh, 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 no, we actually have more respect for you, Sean, than for each other. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. between each other. <laughs> now, our goal here, folks, is if, if we can do this, we're going to try and kick out a Who's Who episode about once a month. We're going to try. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't hold us to a calendar on that. <laughs> but we are going to do our best. You know, producing two episodes of Firewater and this, it, it it is a lot of work for us when we you know have other things we need to do with our lives, like picking our nose and watching TV or something. But that took a weird turn. But anyway, <laughs> I was 
going to go totally grosser direction, so I had to change at the last second. Oh, didn't quite pull out of the skit, I see. Um, right. the, 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 uh, the third book, when we're, next up, of course, is volume three. And oh. Shag and I decided the way we're going to do this is we're going to kind of zip back and forth about who takes the lead on any given book. I did the first one, obviously, because it was Aquaman-centric, and I decided we did the second one. I did the second one just mostly by default. Shag's going to take the lead on the third one because the main character is, of course, Blue Devil, Blue Devil which means Shag is just going to go on and on and on about Blue Devil. So we the can all get excited for that. The Azure Avenger. Oh, Lord. I think we should end on that. Uh, anyway, um, the one last thing I want to mention before we go off is that I guessed that I thought – I at the time, I thought that the Who's Who shows would be the least popular, less popular than any of our Fire and Water. It's just because the Fire and Water stuff is talking about current comics and Who's Who just seems such an obscure, sort of like out-of-date thing. Well, I'm happy to be like 90% wrong. Um, the Who's Who show is basically the way our shows are downloaded. The most downloaded show was the first episode. And it just goes down from there. You know, basically, <laughs> no, I, no, I just mean the first one is the most downloaded. The second episode, it, go, it, goes, it goes down, down, down from there. there. But I mean, just, you know, it just, I, I think people it, tried it out. Yeah. People tried it out. And I just think that the shows are being listened to by older, by people that are just discovering the show. They're listening to them in order, even though you don't really need to. But they're listening to them in order. So they're listening to the first one first, then the second, then the third. And that's, yeah. for the most part, that's the. In terms of the ratings is how they go. So the lowest rated who, uh, Fire and Water is basically the newest one. And that's generally how – with some exceptions. Well, the Who's Who show has bucked that trend and is like jumped ahead of like 10 of the different Fire and Water episodes. So obviously there is a bigger audience and, or at least a different audience for the Who's Who shows. So I'm very happy to be wrong about that. I, I didn't think that would be the case, but uh, I'm, I'm sad. happy to be wrong. I want that as a soundbite. Good for you. <laughs> you, actually, could you say instead of you being wrong, could you say Shag was right? Shag was right. Oh, yeah, there it was. It ends on that before it gets nasty and you know turns into bitter recriminations. Uh, anyway, so that's that's going to wrap it up for the second show. We hope you all enjoy it, and uh, please leave us feedback. Uh, we got a ton of it the first time. We'd love to get a ton more. And uh, again, you know, thanks guys for listening. Hope you enjoy. The place to leave that feedback again is AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. You can reach us through uh, Facebook and Twitter, both you know, Aquaman Shrine and Firestorm Fan on Facebook and Twitter. You can reach me through Google Plus as well. You can also shoot us an email. And what's that email address, Rob? Oh, it is a Firewater Podcast at Comcast.net. There we go. All right, folks. Uh, that is it for this time, and we will talk to you f- with Fire and Water soon, and we'll talk to you with Who's Who in about a month. All righty. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Metric and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh man. We forgot Slipknot.